0: Uh, so we're going to start off in Ecclesiastes 1, from verse 12, uh, and it's on page 607 of the Black Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, if you're way behind in the air, I'm sure someone will bring one to you as well, from verse 12. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to seek and to explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and I have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness, and about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. Until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun.
1: Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly, for what will happen to to the man be like who comes after the king? He will do what has already been done, and i realized sorry and i realized that there is an ad- there is an advantage to wisdom over falling, like the advantage of flight over darkness the wise man has eyes in his ha- in his head but the fool walks in darkness yet i also knew that one fate comes with them both so i said to myself what happens to the fool will also happen to me why then have i been over the wise and I said to myself that this also is futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man, since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise man dies like the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for everything is futile, and a pursuit of the wind. I hated all my work that I'd labored at under the sun because i must leave it to the man who comes after after me and who knows whether he'll be wi- a wise man or a fool yet he will take over all my work that i've laboured at skillfully under the sun this too is futile so i began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that i'd laboured at under the sun when there's a man who works whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a man who has not worked for it. This too is futile and a great wrong. For what does a man get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is futile. There is nothing better for a man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For for to the man who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This, too, is futile and a pursuit of the wind. May God bless the reading of his work.
2: Thanks, Tawanda. We're in our week two of a sermon series. Uh, we've called it Refreshingly Real, the Book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I love Ecclesiastes because it is a, just a realistic view of life. It's not depressing. It's not pessimistic. It's not overly optimistic. It's just realistic. What is life like in this world? And our theme tonight is really summed up by the Rolling Stones, you know their song? I can't get no satisfaction. And it's interesting, though, the, the number of pop songs that actually address that issue. If Freddie Mercury had that hit, there must be more to life than this. Anyone remember Stacey Orico? Probably not she wrote this, I've got it all, I feel so deprived. I go up, I come down, and and I'm empty inside. Tell me, what is this thing that I feel that I'm missing? Why can't I let go? There's got to be more to life than this. Have you heard of uh, Bob Geldof? He's the guy who did all that great work in Africa. And he wrote his biography, and he called his biography... Is that it? Is that it? And maybe you've experienced that. You've got the job that you dreamed of getting, but you're still not satisfied. You've got the spouse that you long for, but you're still not satisfied. You've got the house in the suburb that you always wanted to live with the pool in the backyard, and you're still not satisfied. You've got friends, you've got cash in the bank, you go on these amazing holidays and you go, there must be more to life than this. Fascinating survey done of, the, of the, uh, 8,000 students in America. Across 48 universities, they asked the question, what do you consider is the most important thing in life? What do you think is the most important thing in life? What would you say to that? About 15% talked about their jobs or their careers. About 10% talked about family or housing or marriage. And a whopping 75% talked about finding a purpose or some meaning to their life. It's fascinating, isn't it? We all want it, we desire some purpose, we desire some significance, we desire some meaning and satisfaction. So we search and we search, or the word Ecclesiastes, you pursue and you pursue and you chase this and you chase that and you chase it and you're still not satisfied. The actor Jim Carrey said this, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of doing. To see that that is not the answer to life. That's very Ecclesiastes. Or well, Steve Jobs. Heard of him? When he was 17, he said this. When I, sorry, he's talking to students in, in Stanford University. He said, When I was 17, I read that if you live each day as if it could be your last, then someday you'll be right. And that made an impression on me. And since then, I've looked in the mirror and asked myself the question, if today was the last day of my life, would I want to be doing what I'm about to do today? Remembering I'm going to be dead soon is the best tool for making the big decisions of life. Almost everything, you know, fear of pride and embarrassment and failure, disappears. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to go through the pain of death. But death is a destination we all face. And I think death is a single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. He says, right now, you students are the new. But someday, not long from now, you'll be the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's true. Your time here on earth is limited. So please don't waste it living someone else's life. That is very Ecclesiastes. I want to look this evening at uh, two things. The search for satisfaction. And then the secret of satisfaction. So where do you look for for your satisfaction? What do you chase? What do you pursue? Uh, The teacher in this letter talks about wisdom. He says wisdom is futile. That word futile, it means a vapor or a smoke. It is insignificant. It doesn't satisfy you. And according to verse 16 of chapter 1, he says, I am by human standards one of the wisest people in history. He says, look, I've amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. You imagine him saying, Look, I have studied I've got I've got a degree in art and literature, physics, mathematics, astronomy, I've got a degree in theology and a degree in, in, in philosophy, I've done medicine, you name it, I've done it. I've got more degree certificates than you could throw a brick at. What's his conclusion? Verse seventeen I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly, and I learned that that too is a pursuit of the wind. I love what he says back in chapter 1, verse 13. I applied my mind to seek and explore through wisdom all that's done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I think that's humorous. It's like God made us as human beings with a mind, with a brain, and we think that we can apply that, that mind to know God perfectly. He says, you're, you're an idiot. If you think that, that gaining more wisdom and knowledge is really going to give you your identification and your satisfaction, then you're a fool. It's like Socrates who said, I'm the wisest of all Greeks because I, of all people, know that I know nothing. Nothing. Now don't get me wrong, the teacher is not against knowledge. He says in chapter 2 verses 12 to 14 that being wise, uh, being thoughtful about life is far better than being an idiot and being irresponsible. He says in 2 verse 13, I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly. It's good to have some knowledge, some wisdom. The wise man has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. But the problem is whether you are wise or whether you are foolish, whether you've got 10 PhDs or never completed your HSC. The problem is there's one thing called death, isn't there? And whether you have 10 PhDs or no HSC, we're all going to die. And that's what he says in verse 15. What happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? This is futile, he says. Like the fool, there's no lasting remembrance of the wise man. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. It's over 20 years ago now, since I got my PhD. It sits on my bookshelf. I never read it. (laughs) There are three copies in a library somewhere in Oxford. I think in the last 20 years, but the last count, I think three people have bothered to take it out and read it. But at the time, you know, it was my life. I was like, wow, this is going to be amazing. And do you know what? When I'm dead in 100 years' time, no one will care less that I did a PhD. If you're here tonight thinking that your education and your knowledge and your degrees will actually give you some satisfaction in life, they never will. It's a crazy world we're living, you know. We have more information here in your iPhone more information at your fingertips than entire countries in every single library you had not like, 50 years ago. We stuff our head with information and facts and knowledge in this quest to, to find some meaning to life. But we're never satisfied. In fact, I think this generation is more depressed and more unhappy and more dissatisfied. So wisdom doesn't work what about Pleasure. What have we just enjoyed life? You know, go nuts. Go crazy. Do whatever you want to do, whatever excites you. Walk out of church now and just do it. And then you'll be happy, yeah? I think chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes is so 2017. He looks at six areas of pleasure that you think will make you happy. He says they're all futile. He starts with laughter or humor. You ever thought that? When you're struggling to make sense of a situation in life, go home, put on a British comedy, because they're the best, aren't they? (laughs) The British comedy is, that give you a good old belly laugh, and you'll feel good about life, won't you? For about five minutes. But your problems haven't changed, have they? Chapter 2, verse 2, I said about laughter. It's madness. There's a fascinating study done a few years ago. Uh, looked at uh, the comedians. Uh, looked at, uh, I guess, their mental health. And the extraordinary thing was that the, the overwhelming majority of, of the comedians who made their living out of comedy were actually on antidepressants. That's extraordinary. Just laugh life away, eh? What about wine? What about alcohol? You ever thought this? Come home from work and struggle with the meaning of life. So grab a bottle of red and pour a nice big glass of wine and make sure it's a, it's a, it's a good, good red wine. And you sit there and you sip and you sip and you sip and think, "Ah, oh, life's a bit better now." In Australia, we drink two hundred million litres of wine a year. What does the teacher say in verse three? I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine. and had to grasp folly. (laughs) That's interesting. My mind's still guided with wisdom. He said, I've got a glass of red in one hand and I kind of go, my mind is saying, this is foolish. Like, I can't find meaning through this glass of wine. But who cares? Let's just have a bit of fun. And the conclusion is, well, laughter doesn't work and, and wine doesn't work. So how about some building projects. Now, if you want to find your meaning in life, then let's do a renovation. Let's buy a house. Let's put a pool in. That'll make you feel better. Good verse 4. And notice that all these things are in the plural, not the singular. I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. It's kind of like, you know, you you have your shed in your backyard and you you plant your tomato plant and you have a new sprinkler system and you feel good about life. And if this was King Solomon, you know, his mansion took 13 years to build with 200,000 workers a kind of a mega mansion with parks and gardens and pools. You think, that surely he's got to be happy now. He's got it all. It's crazy, isn't it? I heard this week of a, there's a property in North Sydney right next to the Dem School where my eldest son goes to. And they've been doing renovations for about six months. I think, what, what are they doing to that place? And there used to be a tennis court there. And they've taken out the tennis court and they've been excavating and I, f- I discovered this week they are excavating to put in an underground cinema and they're going to put the tennis court back on top at a cost of about $3 million. It's crazy, isn't it? But we all slip into it. If you can't find meaning in life, then, you know, spend a lot of money on your house or buy a holiday house or go on a holiday or take on some hobby but it's just futile. What about your stuff or your possessions? Own a few more things. Look at verse 7. I acquired male and female servants. Read there, I hired a cleaner. I got some home help. Had a living nanny. I owned more herds of cattle and flocks. Read there, I had five cars and Had TVs in every room and gaming consoles and kitchen gadgets and iPads and iPods and iMacs and ice cream makers. I amassed silver and gold for myself. I had a massive bank account. I had the treasures of kings and provinces. I had my art collection. And I thought I'd be happy, but I never was. What about music? Surely music will keep you happy. Uh, this man didn't need an iPod because he had, his own, he had his own live musicians. He says in verse 8, I gathered male and female singers for myself. You can imagine him sort of snapping his fingers and out come Coldplay or Beyonce and says, sing for me. I, I checked on my iTunes account, all the music that's stored on my, on my iMac at home. If I pressed play tonight, I'd still be listening to all my music in August in 2018. I've got that much music on my I, iMac. It's crazy, isn't it? So, if laughter doesn't work and wine doesn't work and property doesn't work and possessions don't work and music doesn't work, let's have sex, shall we? Let's have lots and lots and lots and lots of rampant sex. That's what it says in verse 8. I gathered many concubines. And he did. Solomon had 300 concubines, 300 women whose sole purpose was to gratify his sexual desires, almost one a day. In addition to 700 wives. This is a sex madman. And you imagine him sitting there with his Tinder account. Swipe left, swipe left, (laughs) right, right, left, right. Oh, just bring them all in. Let's have sex with them all. That's what he's saying there. And yet we laugh, but that's actually subtly what our world says. Have lots and lots of sex in life, and then you'll be satisfied. So here's a man who's tried it all. He's got humor, wine, projects, possession, music, and sex, and much more. And what's his conclusion? Verse 10 All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I didn't refuse myself any pleasure. But verse 11, when I considered all I'd accomplished and what I'd laboured to achieve, I found everything to be futile, vapour, pointless, a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. There's a man who stops and he wakes up after a, a big night and there's wine bottles everywhere, there's women everywhere, there's music blaring out. He walks onto his balcony, he looks at his five pools and thinks there must be more to life than this and maybe that is you maybe you've got everything you ever wanted a full fridge, a full house, a full wardrobe, a full bank account, a full diary, a full bedroom is an empty, empty soul can I just say this that the world lies to you the world shouts at you that pleasures will satisfy and they never do Russell Brand said this, the comedian Russell Brand. I grew up thinking it would be good to have stuff and good to be invited to the party. Well, I've been invited. I've had the chats in the super cool room where everyone is ridiculously good looking and it just isn't worth it. I still feel empty inside. It does not feed my soul. So wisdom doesn't work and pleasure doesn't work. So where do you look for your satisfaction? How about your job? How about your career? Has anyone here heard of Karoshi Syndrome? Anybody? I might have mispronounced it. 30,000 Japanese people die a year of Karoshi Syndrome. The Japanese government since 1990 have been looking after Karoshi widows. And the word kuroshi means what? Death by overwork. Death by overwork. Isn't that crazy? Why do you work so hard, they're asked. To impress the boss, to climb the ladder, to make some money, and to meet my own expectations. That is crazy. But I fear it's some of us. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80-hour weeks. The teacher is so, so spot on. 2 verse 18, I hated all my work. The word all there means all. I hated all my work. And the word for work is actually toil. It's kind of a a drudgery word. I I labored at here on earth. And he said, "I, I can't take it with me. He said, I can't take my work with me. I must leave it to the man who comes after me. So I've worked for 50 hours a week for the last 20 years. And I made all this progress in the company. And I moved to a new job. And within two weeks, some young punk comes in. And I don't know whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. It'll take over all my work, verse 19. He'll sit at my desk and take my title and take on my portfolio that I labored at so diligently. It's futile, it's a waste of time, he says. He says, you can't take it with you and you can't control it when you're gone. Verse 20, I I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work, or my career I'd laboured at. When there's a man whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge and skill, he was careful about his job and he must give his portion to a man who has not worked for it. Why should someone get the credit for his work? He's saying it's futile. You know that your your work life is fragile, don't you? You know that. It could just be this week that you're called into the boss, and you hear the words. You know, you yeah, actually we we they don't say it. we're restructuring this. Hey, we're restructuring. And you know that your work can be all-consuming, don't you? Verse 23, all his days are filled with grief and his occupation is sorrowful, so overloaded, rushing around from one meeting to the next with the, the smartphone always on and notifications disturbing your travel time, your family time, your leisure time. Oh, just one more email, you say? And you wake up in the morning, you're checking your emails. You've got your inbox down to zero the night before and you wake up and it's up at 200 again. Actually, you haven't slept, really. Because according to verse 23, his mind doesn't rest even at night. Ever experienced that? You wake up up at 2 in the morning, your mind buzzing about some issue at work. And you say, what is the point of this? This too is futile, he says. What he's saying there is that your identity and your meaning and your purpose was never, ever meant to be met by your career. You're putting a burden on your career it was never meant to have. I heard the story of a TV star, and he was selected to make this amazing new TV program. And he arrived on set, and there's a a car spot with his name on. There's, There's his door, his dressing room with his name on. And there's a whole crew of people who treated him like royalty. And they made five episodes, but the ratings weren't good, and so the producers pulled the show. He said this. Within, within hours, the name on the parking spot was gone, and the dressing room door was locked, and no one bothered to say goodbye to me. And all that success was like smoke. I couldn't get a handle on it. That's Ecclesiastes, isn't it? And I read this chapter this week and I thought, you know, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing's ever changed. This could have been written in June 2017, couldn't it? We find our identity and our satisfaction, our security in your work, in your degrees or your wisdom or in your, your, your pursuits of pleasure. And it never, ever satisfies And the problem is we've got this thing called eternity that God has placed in our hearts. And the way that God made us as human beings is that he he put eternity in our hearts to think there must be more to this life than this because there's a world to come. So why am I here? I'm going to die. They're going to die. So what's life all about? Let me give you the secret. The secret of satisfaction. You can read it in chapter 2 verse 24. This is the answer. There's nothing better than for man or woman to eat, drink, and enjoy your work. That sounds a bit crazy, doesn't it? He just told you that that your, your work and your pleasure and your wisdom, it never satisfies. Now he's saying enjoy it. He's saying more than that, isn't he? Verse 24. I've seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can endure life apart from God? That is the key. Trying to do life without God. Trying to chase and pursue some meaning and, and significance and satisfaction without God in your life. And trying to fill the God gap. Trying to fill the God whole. With, with pleasure, with sex, with laughter, with wine, with wisdom, with work. It just Never satisfies. But once you say, you know, everything I've got in life is from God. Everything is from God. Then you start to see life differently. And you start to enjoy your pleasures. Just look with me at at chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. See if you can spot what's the word that comes 40 times in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Do you spot it? What's the repeated word? Look at your Bible. It's a very short word. Just one letter, actually. (laughs) I. I did this. I did this for me, for my, for myself. Me, myself, and I. Life's all about me. And it's fascinating. If life is all about me and there's no room for God in your life, it's never satisfying. I know there's like a psychologist in this room. But as far as I know, the research shows that the people who are happiest are, are people who have some spiritual dimension in their life and some other person-centeredness. Is that right? Some spiritual dimension in their life and an other person-centeredness. Well, that's profound, isn't it? Where have you heard that before? What did Jesus say? What's the greatest commandment? To love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment: to love your neighbours yourself. Put God in your life and think about other people, and you might just be satisfied. And that's the conclusion here. Replace the I with others, and make sure you recognise everything is from the hand of God. And then you'll be satisfied. There's a great verse in, in James chapter one, verse seventeen. Where it says, every good gift is from above. from the hands of a loving God. Let me try and teach you this. If you go through life like this. With an open hand. And whatever God gives you into the open hand. You just stop. And you thank God for it. Then you'll enjoy life. Let's give it a go. Thank you Lord for that gut-wrenching, belly-aching laughter I have with that British comedy. Thank you, Lord, for this. that five minutes of fun. I want to thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for this beautiful shiraz that I get to enjoy over a nice meal with friends. What a gift that is, God. Thank you for that. Thank you, God, for this, this view in my garden. I can sit in my garden. I can smell my tomato plants. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for a, a plunge pool <laughs> Wow, how privileged I am. I don't deserve that, God, but thank you for that. Thank you, God, for my friends. Thank you, God, for the people that you put around me. That's a gift from you. Thank you, God, that I get to go on holidays. Wow. That I get to refresh my body with time off from work. Thank you, God, for that. And if we are married, thank you, God, for the gift of sex. What a beautiful gift that is. Now do you see how it changes life? You get to enjoy all those things like laughter and wine and property and possessions and sex. You get to enjoy them all because you recognize they come from God and you're giving him the glory. And so rather than trying to find your identity and your meaning and your, your significance in those things, you're just saying they're all a gift from God and here's my true satisfaction. Try it. I think you'll find you'll be satisfied. It says, enjoy your pleasures and enjoy your work. When you see your work as a gift from God, your abilities, your skills as, a, as from the hand of God, it allows you to redeem your work. Because with God, you find your meaning and your purpose and your joy in your work. I hope you know that you're, you're working for the Lord. You know that? If you're a man or woman of God tonight and you follow Jesus, you are working for the Lord. Whatever you do Monday to to Friday, as you walk into your workplace, God is, 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 is concerned for your character. That you want to be there to honor him and to love him and to serve him in your workplace. Your character matters. And he wants you to be content. Not always striving to achieve all this stuff. There's a great verse in chapter 4 about work. Chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. I saw all the labor and all the skillful work is due to man's jealousy of his friend. We're so competitive, always competing with our other work work colleague for the better position, the better pay. This is futile, he says. Achieve, achieve, achieve. Let's be content. Verse 6, better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and the pursuit of the wind. It's better to go through life, you know, working 40 hours with one hand and enjoying some rest time and enjoying time with people with the other hand than spending 80 hours a week in your workplace, no time to enjoy anything at all. I read this great, great quote this week. It says, The problem in Sydney is not the high cost of living, but the cost of high living. We want stuff far, far too much. I think that's true. And so we work and we work and we work and we're just never content. He goes to say that your relationships are more important than your work. Do you know that? That your relationships, your family, your friends are more important than your work. There's a horrible picture in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I saw futility under the sun. as a person without a companion without even a son or a brother, and though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asks, (coughs) and depriving myself from good. This is futile. I think that's a picture of the person in Sydney who works the 80 hour week and, and let's say it's a man who's married with a wife and got three kids and they've got a photo of the three kids in the wallet they've got a picture of the wife on the desk at work and, and they do love each other but he's working, he's working, he's working and he's loving his work. Just never has time for his family. And one day he comes home and his wife is still there but just, there's no relationship left. And his kids have all grown up and left home and he missed out on their childhood And Ecclesiastes would say, you fool. Workaholism is shortchanging your relationships. We are shortchanging our marriages, and we're shortchanging our kids, and we're shortchanging our friendships by working and working and working, thinking that's our identity and our security. Remember, you're working for God, and you're working with God. When you walk into the office, God is there. If you're a stay-at-home parent, God is there. Do you actually recognize him? Do you actually pray as you're on the train or on the bus? Lord, help me today to honor you. I'm working for you, God. If you're a lawyer, Lord, help me to make a just and a wise and a right decision on this case. If you're a teacher, Lord, help me please to to inspire these kids to love mathematics. Uh, If you're a a nurse, help me to to care for these people that you've placed in my life. Thank you, Lord. Because here's the reality. When you know that God is with you, your work is so much more enjoyable. You know who you're working for. You know why you're working what did Steve Jobs say? Steve Jobs say, if today was the last day of your life, would you do what I'm about to do today? It's a good question. I find this totally liberating. I find it totally, totally liberating. We get to enjoy life. If you're in Christ, you get to enjoy life. You can enjoy your family. You can enjoy your friends. You can enjoy your work. You enjoy your pleasures. enjoy your wisdom. You enjoy them all because you're saying, it all belongs to you, God. And you are the center of everything. So my challenge, church, is just to do it. Start tonight. Make a list of all the things that you enjoy doing. And put next to the, next to the, next to the two words, thank you. Thank you, God. And it will change you. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for all the enjoyments we have in life, for laughter, for wine, for property and possessions, for food, for clothing on our back, for shelter, for work, for money in our bank accounts, for friendships and for family and for just breath in our lungs. You are so good and so kind and so generous to us. And everything we have comes from your generous and gracious hand. Father, make us a people who seek our satisfaction, our identity, our security in you. Liberate us from this this endless chasing, this endless pursuing for meaning in life. Liberate us, please, Lord. Help us to find our satisfaction in Christ alone.